Welcome to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. We talk about the intersection of parenting and technology. Everything you need to know about raising kids in the digital age. This is Parenting Bites. Hi, welcome to Parenting Bites. I'm Rebecca Levy, co-founder of KidsMeets.com. I'm here in the New York studio this week with Amy Ozdan of SelfishMom.com. Hello. And Nancy Friedman, my co-founder for KidsViews.com and from Hip to Housewife. And we have a special guest this week. We have Abby West, executive editor of Essence.com. Hello. All in the studio. We should take a picture so you can see all four <laughs> of us crammed in. Um, we're going to talk about three different topics this week, as usual. Our first topic is a new Pew Research study about teen social media and technology, which actually had some very interesting findings. We're going to talk to the lead researcher on that study. Then we are going to talk about Essence.com and the Mommy Den in particular, which recently launched, and it's incredibly beautiful and informative and I don't thank know. You, thank you. Um, and then we're going to talk about our digital dilemma of the week, which is to baby monitor or not to baby monitor. <laughs> Things we are all past, thankfully. So now we monitor in other ways. But I have a lot to say about it. And then we'll have our bites of the week. So let's jump right in. We're going to start with this first topic of the P- new Pew study about teens and technology, which had some interesting findings and some, I think for parents, some, yep, Got that findings. So we're going to be joined by Amanda Lenhart of Pew Research. You're listening to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Talking tech, apps, entertainment, and issues around parenting the digital generation. This is Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. So, um, so we we've all read the study. Um, wow, and it's really I interesting. I know from top to bottom. It was it was actually quite long. Yeah. <laughs> so it it is a real it's, study. It's pretty long, yeah. Um, and so, just so you can give a little background to our listeners about what the study is about and why you guys decided to do this study. So sure. So uh, the study is um, looks at how teens are using social media and mobile phones, as well as um, and, and sort of all the things that come with that. So we're looking at certain kinds of app usage. We're looking at certain kinds of social platforms, places where kids can basically interact with other people online. Um, and this study is actually the first in a series. Um, we'll be looking at. Um, we'll be issuing two more reports. Um, the second one will be looking at how teens use um, social and mobile technology to create, um, maintain, and dissolve friendships. Um, and the third one will look at creating, maintaining, and dissolving romantic relationships. Wow, that's that's such a hot topic. Mm-hmm. I can't even, we just had another article this week go around about the Instagram, being left out of Instagram and all, oh my God. It's <laughs> just for girls especially, that's such a hotbed. Um, But let's talk about this. So one of the interesting things about this, I think, this whole idea of the digital divide in terms Mm -hmm. of connectivity Mm -hmm. and access, I think, is over. I mean, this this really shows that I think 91% of teens go online using mobile device. 73% of teens have or have access to a smartphone. It seems like from this study that the smartphone has replaced the home computer for many kids as their connectivity device. 
Well, you know, it's certainly for there's a there. So we still see sort of differences in inequalities in access to desktops and laptops, um, and that hasn't gone away. That's something that's really been consistent over the last probably decade. Um, and we we do see smartphones kind of leapfrogging that divide for certain groups of of people, um, particularly African American teens who um, who still historically don't have as great access to desktops and laptops. The smartphone seems to be filling in in that respect, and that's actually something we also see in the adult population for um, African Americans. So it's not surprising that we would see it amongst teens here as well. Um, you know, that said, I would still, you know, caution us to remember that there are still, you know, there's 12% of kids who don't have access to any kind of cell phone at all. There's another 15% who only have what we would call kind of a basic phone or a stick phone. Um, and then there's a percentage of, uh, you know, certainly a percentage of kids who, who don't have access to these technologies. So I think uh, you know, declaring the complete end of the divisional divide is probably is probably not quite accurate, but I do think we are making you know this, we continue to make steps to to close it. That's for sure. Most of your study really focuses on the social networking of devices and not you know on a kid's ability to do research or access homework or things like that. Um, can you speak? That was where I think a lot of the economic divide happens. Was really fascinating about Facebook versus Instagram and Snapchat, I was shocked that there is this economic divide between yeah. users. Were, I mean, first, were you surprised by that? And second, what do you think that means? Well, so, you know, I think uh, to, to step back a little, just this study didn't focus really on some of these more school-based uses because of the broader focus on peer relationships um, in, this, in the sort of study as a whole. Um, I do think it is important to look at some of these differences um, in use of social media because there, there's a whole school of thought that says that using these kinds of technologies builds a facility with using technology, a comfort with the technology. This is the place where kids are playing, they're working, they're really becoming comfortable with it and without the opportunity or the experience using it, um, that's a potential that um, you know, certain teens might not have the kind of skills they need to be able to do kind of jobs in the future. And so I think you know, this, they're not necessarily, you can make the point, they're not necessarily learning academic things in this space, um, but they could be learning um, important kinds of things about both interacting with people socially in these spaces, but also just in general how these spaces work. Um, you know, to get to the point about the income differences, um, we do see some differences in use around um, around income and sort of what sites teens use most frequently. And so we're starting to see that um, uh, middle and lower income teens um, are still using Facebook. They remain there. That seems to be the site that they use most, uh, are most likely to say they use most frequently. Um, with upper income teens, um, we're starting to see a little bit of a move away from Facebook. Um, we see uh, more of a focus on Snapchat, um, uh, and we see potentially a little bit more use of Twitter, um, and uh, less, and, and certainly less use of Facebook as, as their dominant site for social media interactions. Um, and you know that could be because there's more uh, diversification uh, amongst upper income teens that they're just more likely to sort of spread their time on social media more widely. Um, so that's one of the things that uh, we're, we're potentially looking at as a reason why that's the case. Um, it also could be that there's a smartphone divide. Um, lower income teens are a bit less to ha likely to have access to smartphones, and many of these new platforms are um, sort of smartphone oriented. They're either uh, as apps, or they're either only apps, or they're better as apps. They're intended to be used as apps. Um, and so for kids who don't have a smartphone or who haven't had access to smartphones until quite recently, um, they just might not, they're, they're not either able to or haven't kind of caught up to that. Um, 
um, space where wealthier kids have had this kind of access for longer. So they're using the mobile version of Facebook, basically, instead of the Facebook app. Well, accessible. potentially on, on the Facebook side, but in terms of, you know, things like Instagram and Snapchat, mm-hmm. that's, um, that's a possibility. So, I mean, we are making distinctions you know, here that even though we know uh, African-American teens uh, uh, tend to come from families that are tend to be a bit more lower income overall, we do see more likelihood of use in those populations. But still, when you separate race from income, we do see that um, lower income teens are less likely to have a smartphone than upper income teens. What do you think the takeaway is for parents from this study? That's a great question. I actually think that the best thing that parents can do with this study is use this essentially as a roadmap to trying to figure out those places that your kids are spending time that you don't know about yet. Um, you know, I think as a parent, you know, there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a kind of a constant sort of sense that you need to be aware of something new that your child is potentially using um, that maybe you it just hasn't crossed your radar yet. Um, and I think this gives you a sense of like what are the first places to look, um, what are the likely places that your kids are spending time. Um, and giving you the opportunity to, you know, take a look at these kinds of sites uh, and use them yourself and become a little bit more comfortable with them if you don't already use them. Okay, great. Well, thank you, Amanda. The study is fascinating. We'll put a link up to it on our Facebook page, and we look forward to the next two studies. I think they sound fascinating. Great. All right. Thanks very much. Thank you. you. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. I love digging into data about kids, <laughs> <laughs> even though it's it does mirror what I see in my own kids, which is that they're using Facebook mm-hmm. and not well, they're not using Facebook, but they're using Instagram, and they desperately want a Snapchat account. <laughs> uh-huh. But yeah. I, I think it's interesting uh, to deep to dig deeper into what they're finding out is that how are because are in anecdotally it seems like less and less younger people are using Facebook and it's sort of like the old person site, but clearly that's not true from the data they have. Although it's a thousand kids, it's not a huge um, you know base. But what are they using it for? So I, when I after I read the study, I asked my own teenagers, and they both said they use it because they need to. They have to use it because there's groups. Mm-hmm. So their history class Scoopers. has a Facebook group, okay. and their the Glee Club has a Facebook group, and the team so that the coach can post, you know, we're going to meet here instead of there, and it's all they're all in that private Facebook group. So they're using it in a very different way than perhaps us old folk are. Right. <laughs> they're not building their life on it and right. their profile on it. Are they no. parallel using other platforms? Yes, they're okay. using different platforms. So Facebook is really more for, you know, the stuff you have to do. Right. And right. the stuff they want to do, they do on other platforms. Mm-hmm. That's like the worst thing Facebook could ever hear, I think. Right. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. For them, that's like almost like a death Well, your kids are a little older, Abby. I yeah. mean, what are your kids using? Uh, Instagram primarily to con- have conversations, which I still can't wrap my brain around when they tell me that they like, essentially just leave comments at each other which is just bizarre to me it's not a full-fledged conversation and snapchat they're constantly it's snapchatting amazing, right other. and they all have finstagrams everybody know about finstagram no oh, uh, yeah <laughs> and there's also uh, so there's two things so on facebook another thing that kids have and every senior at most of the high schools in the city anyway has a fake Facebook name yes. because they don't want the college to see them oh. and it's always some kind of pun on their name. Yes, my niece is saved by the bell. She's Annabelle. Right. Oh, and now you've just, just outed her. her. Yeah. She's there. She got into pen. That's really smart. I mean, if right. we're all saying that you can't do this, you can't do that because colleges mm-hmm. are going to look you up and employers are going to look you up, then good for those kids. Right, so that's one thing. And then the other thing they do is on you have an Instagram and that you might make public, you might let people see your photos, but then you have a Finstagram and a court, a, 
when I see what my daughter is putting up, it's mostly really hideous pictures of herself. So she'll make a hideous <laughs> face and then put it up just to see how so hideous like a, she can make it's herself. For fugly, like it's a Finstagram. <laughs> no, I think it's fake Instagram. Oh, it's okay. not her real Instagram, but it's just sort of you don't care what you put up. It's really it's more for your closer circle of friends, and you don't really. I think on Instagram, if you're a friend of a friend, she'll let you follow her. Mm. But on Finstagram, it's really people she knows personally. Group. It's mm. the core group. It's hmm. really sad, right? You have to keep curating down your list into a new group and a new group and a new group because you've made everything else so broad. Yeah, we have that too. I, we have so many secret groups on Facebook. It's all. Yeah. It is all it's basically almost all I use Facebook that's, for. That's yes. where I am all day. That's where the fun is. Except yeah. for reading, I've pruned my list so much, my feed that I only see like maybe only the people in this room. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's really where I'm. I'm actually bothered by that. That I'm not getting as many things surfaced, and you know, I yeah. want to see other people's information. <laughs> It'd be nice. I went to your to this page. I'm like, I know I like this page. I never see any of it show up. Oh, on my it's so frustrating. Thing. Yeah, it's the really pages annoying. forget it right now. You really have to pay for people to see your stuff on pages. All right. Well, with that, let's segue. <laughs> Since Abby is liking our page, um, <laughs> to Essence.com and in particular the Mommy Den. But and so we can talk. I know you also launched a similar product when you were at Entertainment Weekly at EW.com, which was fabulous. Which I loved. Um, I loved. So can you talk a little bit about why you decided to launch the Mommy Den and sort of what the core mission is of that section? Well, you know, it just it's the same sort of ideas I had at EW. It's that, you know, because you're parents, it doesn't change the other things that you love and your other interests and your desire to have community. Um, and we, on Essence.com, you know, our mission is to reflect and be this a safe space for African-American women across, uh, not just across the country, across the world, honestly. Um, we have such a strong reach. We reach 10 million African-American women through Amazing. print, digital, um social you know it's a pretty broad reach and of them how many are mothers and parents and just being able to create this space where they get both information commentary conversation and community I know it's a crazy buzzword it's one of those things we hated because everybody (laughs) wants community but we really needed to give the space where um, we could provide the voice and a sounding board and include them in the conversation so we launched it in March um, and have found that they've really embraced it so one of the things you do, you really encompass a lot of topics on the Mommy Den. So everything from social media and technology mm-hmm. to entertainment to really current events and news and really much deeper social issues. Do you see that as a place where moms are not just exchanging ideas, but maybe getting ideas for how to talk to their kids about different issues or approach different things? Yeah, I think it's I think, again, it's a way to bring up both expert opinion and, um, you know, the lay opinion. There's <laughs> like your sister, your girl, sister friend's opinion mm-hmm. and um, what's worked in the past, what they've seen and have that conversation. So what's not a one shoe fits all kind of situation. Um, you know, we had one of our writers talk about whether it's acceptable to give your teen the silent treatment when they're giving you the silent treatment. You know, just that idea of, um, you know, for her it was more of creating a, it's better for both of us, I, I don't talk to you as well, like, you know, I get my own time out, you get a time out, and it's better in that space. And other people saw it as, I think someone used the word um, verbal abuse in some way that you're withholding. So there's it's this space where you can have that conversation. It's a real, because parenting is not cute. It's, yes, that we have a lot of funny um, galleries, right. and there's this <laughs> little, you know, you get to do commentary, but parenting is painful at times. At least it's, for me, with teenagers now, it is the hardest thing I've ever gone through. And you want sometimes to go into a space with other people where you can say, this is really hard, and, I'm, you know, I've, you know, I've read all I could read, I've read all the, you know, expert books, I've talked with a therapist, 
I want to talk to more people and get more information. And that's that space. And sometimes it's not even about finding a solution. It's realizing that a whole bunch of other people are feeling the same thing you are and you're not weird and it's okay. Right. Because I feel like that's been more acceptable with small children, you know, <laughs> with babies. Everyone, there's more of that, you know, community like, yes, I know sleepless nights and mm-hmm. yes, the teething and yes, this, this. Um, and as they get into elementary school, but as they get into middle school and high school, I think we, as parents, withhold it and keep it to ourselves like this is my own personal drama this is just too much nobody really understands it's just my kid and there's not enough of us going well it's kind of all of our kids doing it at varying degrees you're listening to parenting bites with rebecca levy welcome to play it a new podcast network featuring radio and tv personalities talking business sports tech entertainment and more play it at play.it Talking tech, apps, entertainment, and issues around parenting the digital generation. This is Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. One of the things that I have noticed in my, you know, six, seven years now in the digital space is that it is the most racially integrated professional space, sometimes it's semi-professional space, (laughs) that I've ever been in. And I worked in television for many, many Mm. years, which I would have assumed would have been very integrated, but was not at all integrated. Um, and so I find it interesting, and, and yet social media is a lot about having, finding very specific communities online, and that's what it's about. But when I looked at um, the Mommy Den on Essence, it seems like it could be, I'd be perfectly happy to read all those articles. It didn't seem to be anything particularly focused on the African-American community for me. It was all very relevant, other than that all the faces are, which made me realize, wow, as integrated as my world is in social media, and I have many more African-American colleagues and friends than I ever did before in my other TV life, um, I still see online many more white faces. But in terms of the content, do you think that there is any real difference in terms of what you're putting out there? There can be. Um, and in, in a lot of, a lot of, you're right, in a lot of spaces, um, it is a universal experience. So you're bringing to light things that, you know, you and you are having the same issue with as I am, but in other things, you know, and I think brought to light within the last year, including the Black Lives Matter um, conversation, there are things that are specific. For, you know, it's been a real talking point since Trayvon Martin about being an African a mother of an African American child, an African American mother particularly, but also the mother of an African American child. So I've had these conversations, and we try to have the conversations with some of the the adopted mothers of black children. You know, I have a friend, Kara Balanek. You know, mm-hmm. this, these are conversations that you have about what it means to raise a black child in America these days. And so there are definitely things that are targeted and specific to the scrutiny, the life experience that African-American mothers have to go through. But then there's a lot that is a universal experience. Right. I actually think that's... Um I mean, first of all, so important, but also still universal. Like, I think when that whole thing, Black Lives Matter, when it all really came to the forefront and all this, I think there were a lot of white moms, like, I don't know how to talk to my kid or I don't know. And, like, that becomes a resource of a place of understanding, a place where you can say, like, okay, let me figure this out. Let me talk about it without sounding like I know what the hell I'm talking about or this is my idea of it. I mean, I think it's really just important to have all those voices integrated into your daily read in some ways. Um, it's part of the reason why I really wanted to have you on because I think it's a really amazing. I mean, I think Essence.com in general is just a really vibrant 
community and magazine and and I mean I also really like the entertainment section yes. but that's my own thing <laughs> yes um, <laughs> but um, but even that like I think when you're reading from different points of view I think you can get very stuck in a weird echo chamber online that as diverse as it is you can also narrow it very much yeah. and there's no reason to do that I think that's what's so exciting about being online is that you can find all these other outlets that maybe you wouldn't have bought because that's not the magazine that came to your house growing up um, it doesn't have to be anymore. Mm-hmm. And no one has any magazines coming to their house anymore, right? No, <laughs> well, everyone's buying magazines. <laughs> oh, that's right. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, my daughter, I can tell you who's buying magazines, teens and tweens, man. Really? My daughters love getting magazines in the mail. That's like a whole other <laughs> discussion. They love a magazine. We get a lot of magazines in our house mm-hmm. still. <laughs> I know. There is something about flipping through it. Um, there is. I don't think it will go away. But so what is the most, po- what have been your most popular posts? What have you really seen ignite? conversation you know it's all we're only about a month all into it mm-hmm. um, March yeah so maybe two months yeah sorry <laughs> I've lost track of complete track of time you a lot of content for that you launched with a whole lot of content we on did there. It, go, it runs pretty deep thank you well you know and we have so we created a lot of new content for it but then part of the, the idea was that we as a brand have been providing this content throughout the year so it was a give, gave us a good chance to aggregate it and keep it in one spot so you can go find it um, and recently <laughs> there was a viral video of a mother who's I think someone her child was having a tantrum and a a white woman came up to her and tried to intervene and it became aggressive to say the least so there was a commentary around that piece where it was not condoning the mother's um, reaction to it but there's been an ongoing conversation about particular scrutiny on African American moms in a public space and whereas you draw that line between okay do you have the right to come in and tell someone how to parent in in, a, in that moment? And you know what that moment is like when your child is having like a fit and you're just trying to manage it in whatever parenting strategy you have without additional input. And um, whether if you thought that child was in danger, there are avenues for you to do that. You put in a call, you reach out to a professional nearby, but that idea that someone could come in and just say, you're doing that wrong, do that differently, Greats, and that created a lot of conversation for us. I'm sure you know because you know when you see a video like that, everyone is like, "Oh, but for the grace of God, no one had a video camera on me that day <laughs> when I right. when my daughter wouldn't put her freaking winter coat on and it was two degrees outside and I wanted to kill her." Like, I mean, we've all had those moments mm-hmm. of really losing it, yeah. um, especially when you live in a city and yes. <laughs> you're parenting in public. I always say you're just you can't get away from it. Yeah. That's really interesting. We'll put a link to that on our Facebook Thank page, you. and then everyone can see it. <laughs> That's really interesting. I mean, do you think that those, I mean, I guess those moments bring out the worst of us, right, as a parent, like, and then you're being just put in this horrible position of someone telling you something, and then you bring this race element into it. I mean, like, that has yeah. every bad factor coming into play. It does. Um, do you think there's a lot of that sort of discussion, like, do you have a lot of good race discussion going on in that area, or is it a lot more sort of within itself. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's hard to have a race, dis- like, it's hard to have that discussion. You have this, the African-American mom side of it, which is her point, you know, which is exactly what happened to her. But then you don't get a real con- dialogue or conversation going. Like, I find a lot of times when you bring up race online in any way, it just becomes Starbucks. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was just terrible. <laughs> no. But it's hard to have those conversations online because they get really polarized mm-hmm. really fast. It is difficult. Um, and, you know, it's a constant mission to try to sh- frame it and shape it in a way that in, it 
It um, engages people without immediately going to their push button <laughs> um, while trying to be, you know, grabby with a headline, but not going overboard and um, staring them one way. It is definitely th that intersection of race and parenting is something that we find people respond to and want to have conversation around the most. Um, so it's just finding the, the best way to present it as a space to have a conversation, not to just validate whatever idea you already have. Right. We can all do that really easily, too, yeah, right? <laughs> just fine by myself. Right. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I Tell everyone, we'll link to it on our Facebook page, but everyone should really check out Essence.com and The Mommy Den, and it's incredible parenting information and articles, and it's also just a lot of fun. I mean, there's, like, lots of fun stuff we in like there, fun. too, I want to say. There's lots of, like, fun, enjoyable um, basic articles, and I do think you're right. There's not enough content about parenting older kids, um, which is part of what we talk about on this show a lot. We can all remember the baby stage right. and talk to that, mm -hmm. but um, I think you feel particularly guilty when you see your teen acting a certain way. Like it's more of a reflection on you than a baby. It really for some is. Yeah, and also, yeah. when you start to try to talk to other people about it, especially online, you're cognizant of the fact that you're talking about a human being, not a cute little baby, right. not a little bratty toddler who isn't going to happen upon what you're writing, who doesn't have an opinion about yeah. it. It's mm -hmm. just a totally different world. Yeah. There's definitely that I have that constant awareness when I want to talk about them. Of course, I'm on Facebook most of the time um, with people who know them. Um, and I think of, you know, when you, when you write on Facebook, you do I, I don't know, I have over 500 friend, friends, but I think of about maybe 50 people in my head who I'm writing to most of the time. And they have known these kids since they were tiny and they want to know updates. Um, but I'm mindful not to either say their name, even though I post their pictures all the time. I don't say, you know, insert his name um, to <laughs> X, Y, and Z. It's like the boy or the... It's just the, the smallest ways I can try to preserve it. Um, and it's kept me from writing a blog about them because mm. they are fully functioning human beings who are right. about to be grown-ups and don't really appreciate well, Semi-functioning if they're right. teenagers. Right. Well, that. <laughs> I always <laughs> say you shouldn't, give them, you shouldn't give them proof in writing of the stuff they're going to tell their shrink later. Right. <laughs> <So> <laughs> at least true. be able to have denial later. All right, so everyone check that out. So actually, that kind of segues into our digital dilemma, which is, to, we're going to talk about, we talked about monitoring teens and tweens a lot, um, and but the baby monitor thing, this question came from actually a dad blogger who was on the show, Lance Sommerfeld. He just had his new baby girl, and I'm imagining he lives in a normal New York apartment, in which case I was always like, why would we need a baby monitor? Like, I wish I couldn't hear them. Like, I hear them. They're in the room right next to me. Um, but do you have a baby monitor on all the time? Does it make you bananas? Like, can you ever get a moment's peace if you have the baby monitor on? And then it kind of brought this whole idea of all these connected apps now for babies. Like, I saw a thermometer at CES, which I actually thought was great, because then if your baby has a fever all night, it uh, goes like this and it connects to the app next to your bed and you it alerts you if the fever goes up yes. um, and then you send all that information to your doctor but then it does start to make you like you can start to go crazy right they have things that monitor your baby's breathing while they sleep well oh. I think like Andrea said a few weeks ago um, a lot of this stuff started out to deal with kids who had very specific medical problems where they needed this kind of monitoring and then other parents latched onto it and said, oh, I need to monitor my baby's breathing. I need to see my baby all night. I need to, you know, I need the crib to feel if he's moving. It, it's it's just all going too far. Did you have a baby monitor, Amy? I did have a baby monitor, and what I did was um, 
since I was staying home and my husband had to get up early for work every day, I would put it on just loud enough so that if the baby, if he was really screaming, I could hear him and it wouldn't wake up my husband. So I kept it on very, very low. So if he was just waking up and making noises, it, it didn't even turn the monitor on. It was really for when there was like a full-blown, can't-get-himself-back-to-sleep screaming fit. Nancy, did you have a baby monitor? I did not need one in Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> and my daughter, although she weighed less than five pounds when she got home, had a, quite a set of lungs. <laughs> um, but I did have one um, when we were staying with my parents in the country because it was a large house. Um, and I didn't, I, I just put it on when they were sleeping so I could go outside and yeah. sit by, you know, sit and enjoy in the afternoon. To me, it was very liberating. Otherwise, I would, I would have been more nervous um, and it was just to hear them when they woke up. I, I think it. De- I think it depends. I think number one, obviously, if there's some medical issue, like Amy was saying, and I also think it depends on what kind of parent you are. I was pretty nonchalant. Also, I had twins. If somebody wanted a baby, I was like, here you go. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know? That's what my mother-in-law always said. Your mother-in-law's always baby. welcome here when you have go. twins. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a baby. Have a good time. <laughs> so I was not like a super nervous mother, but I did, if they were woke up from their nap, and sometimes it was an hour, and I wasn't like, a, I didn't have like clockwork kids. Who always, so to me, it was just a way of but I certainly didn't leave it on all the time. I did. It was just if they woke up screaming, it was pretty much only during the day. At night, they were close enough; they were just down the hall. But it was so that I could leave, right? Not just sit so and stare freedom. at them. What about you, Abby? I definitely had one. I mean, we were in an apartment at the time, but I still had it, so I could be, you know, three rooms away and not really have to worry about him when he was napping. Then only with my son. I didn't do it with my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> the second kid problem. <laughs> Um, Second kid, you're like, keep on screaming, like, baby. Good luck with there. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll see with yourself. Um, <laughs> but if they had all of these connected apps, at that time, I absolutely would have gone overboard with it, with the checking the breathing and checking <laughs> all of it. I would have just... I think I would have, too. I would have been a nut. It's really? so funny. Isn't that funny? Well, I think... First of all, I think what happens now is we lived in a thousand square... No, first of all, my daughters were born. We lived in a one-bedroom apartment, and the cribs were in the room with us. So then I did not have a monitor. But i got to tell you, somebody buys you a monitor like you right. even ask for one but it's like this assumption mm-hmm. that you're going to have a monitor and it's just that baby gift you get and um i would definitely have it on in when the girls were sleeping and i kind of thought it was hilarious like i would hear them when they woke up and they would like sing I had twins do right and they'd <laughs> sing to each other and i always actually wished i had a little video camera just to like tape those moments of what they were doing and now of course every baby monitor has a video camera right. in it I don't know if it stays in the I didn't know that. That's really? They that really, happens? it's hard to get That's a sound-only one now. I remember my daughter waking up, and I did not have a monitor, but I could hear her because not that far away. And I just remember her in her bed early, early in the morning, and she could, must have been teeny tiny when I just remember her going, whoa, 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 right. boat, whoa. And that was like the cutest thing. And I would have loved to have seen that on a video. But I... I, I've always been, especially with sickness, like all the monitoring and the breathing, I've always been like, yeah, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, seriously, I don't think that would have been me at all. Yeah, I'm the worst. No. Video monitors definitely existed when, when my kids were babies. I just They were bad, I, though. I did. They were like, yeah. But I don't think there's, though. I think that, you know, it's like everything, everything in moderation. If you want to have a baby monitor so that you can go outside and have some sun instead of being stuck right. with your baby while they're napping for two hours, it's your one moment of freedom. Or shower. Fine. Or take shower. shower. Right. <laughs> shower. Or, it, or if your shower kid is really sure. sick and you want to do the fever thing, but to, ev- to monitor every single thing, I think you make your kid neurotic. You'd make I, your I, kid I, think so. I think they're more useful now that our kids are older. I think we oh, should have video monitors in their rooms now. I, like I, don't, <laughs> I don't want to be in my kids. My 
my, I don't know. I don't want to be in my teenage boys' room with a video monitor. Thank you. <laughs> no. <laughs> Although someone said to me, if you just start it when they're little, they'll never know it's still there. <laughs> like the Truman Show. His was like hanging from the mobile. I think kids would must watch the Truman Show now and be like, yeah, I don't get what's, what's weird about that. My daughters just did. Yeah. My daughters just watched it. Did That's like so it? funny. In school, because they read 1984 and then they watched that. Uh, so were they like, why is that weird? Everyone's watching everything we do all the time. They anyway. actually really thought it was weird, and what they thought was weird was that he didn't know. Yeah, it wasn't that they did it because they're so used to reality shows right. now. It was that he didn't know. They were like, "Ooh, <laughs> Jake." My son had the same reaction. I had, like he he walked in halfway through the movie and he didn't understand that this guy wasn't like part of the show. Right, and I was like, "No, no, 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 no." They're doing this in secret. There's this entire world built around but, him, and he doesn't know. And he go, he's like, "Is the guy stupid?" But they right. did it in Japan. <laughs> did you see that they did it in Japan? They had some guy in a room, and they said he had to live for a year. Only on the winnings he got from writing into yes. magazines. Wait, that's an episode of Dark Mirror, isn't it? <laughs> it probably like is it. now. It sounds like but it. it was a real thing, and they interviewed, oh. and they and week after week, the, it was a, like the most popular show on Japanese television. And they would watch this guy, and he at one point he went like crazy, and he was running around the apartment naked, and then they <laughs> and and like talking to himself, and he let his beard grow out, and he was survived. He finally won a pound of rice, and then he was dancing oh, no. and dancing because he won rice and he had something to eat. It was like crazy. Wait, so he signed on to be video. Tape. He had no idea it was going to be a live oh. television show. He just thought he that was. That just going, seems the, so unethical. He thought, the, <laughs> he thought the challenge was to live on the on the winnings alone, not necessarily right. the. Oh wow! Oh my that's god! That's amazing. All right, so don't have a baby monitor because that's how, what could happen. That's right. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the natural progression. Obviously. Yeah. yeah. My feeling is you're just going to have a baby monitor, so get over it because it's just going to happen. Yeah. I don't think. I think the only way it could be bad is if you take it to the extreme of your monitoring every breath your baby takes. Is then you're all going to be crazy. Isn't right. A baby monitor can be useful if it is used wisely. All right. That's our that's our criteria. <laughs> All right. So let's do our parenting bites of the week. Every week we do something that every parent should either read, download, listen to, check out, whatever. We'll start with you, Nancy. What's your bite of the week? I, I'm a little late to the party because it's already had like a gazillion views, but I... Um, watch the Moon Party uh, video on YouTube, <laughs> which is, uh, what is it called? Flow? What's Hello it Flow. Hello Flow, which I I, I met oh, her and she serious. seems very nice, but I don't really get why I need my tampons delivered <laughs> to my door. But the, but it, the, so the service I don't get, but the videos she makes are awesome. And I do like the idea of a, like a period starter kit for your daughter. I think that's really cute. And this is um, a a video about a 12-year-old girl who's so desperate to get her period that she fakes it with red nail polish, and her mother calls her on it and throws her a moon party, and it's um, totally hysterical. It's very well done. This is my second week in a row of doing something that has to do with menstrual pads. I showed the one you recommended last week to my like husband. Like all our men too. listeners just went, click. click. <laughs> there, there, was, there was a lot of like, this is what you do all day? Okay. All right, Amy, what's your bite? Okay, mine, um, we've mentioned a few times that when you read devices, basically anything other than a Kindle Paperwhite before bed, it affects what's going on in your head. The blue light can affect your sleep, and it's very bad. You're not supposed to do any of that, I think, with what is it, within half an hour? I think it's of an, hour. an hour of going to sleep? Yeah, right. Who is, who's <laughs> putting those down an hour before sleep? So what I didn't know is that there are actually these orange-tinted glasses that you can wear that cancels out the blue light, supposedly. Make sure you don't have sex. 
because <laughs> once you put those on, it's real attractive. So. Sexy time, let me tell you. Right um, yeah, they are not attractive. They're also birth control. They, yeah. they're, they're not attractive. Don't even pretend you're going to look good in these. They look like something that you would use like when you're welding or something. But they have orange lenses, and the lenses are specially formulated to block out the blue light so that you can sit there looking like a dork in bed and read your phone and not have it affect your sleep. So I think that if you're going to insist on doing that, you should at least be able to do it without it keeping you awake. I think I should do that for my daughters who pretend they're not on their iPods, but they're totally on their iPods. And then you can look on your video monitor that you've secretly installed in their room (laughs) and check and see if they're doing it. And then you can take a screenshot of them in their dorky glasses and put it on (laughs) Facebook. There There you go. go. Full circle. circle. Yes. You right. put the glasses on, your retainer, and a headscarf. <laughs> I am ready for sex at that point. And a mask. Bring a mask. <laughs> All right, Abby, what's your I, I, I feel really bad. I don't really have something that is as awesome. Uh, <laughs> you, you have Essence.com. I have Essence.com. Um, I, I'm sort of becoming a, well, yeah, it's not really a parenting help. Um, I'm obsessed with Periscope right now. <laughs> it's uh, really what my major technological yeah. obsession is. and figuring out how to use it for for good. Because <laughs> it's really easy to use it for Speaking evil. Speaking of the Truman really Show, yeah. yeah. It really is. And I'm a little terrified of when the kids figure it out and, you know, that's, it's just a slippery slope for bad judgment. Yes, yes in f- locker rooms. Or yes. like the first time I'm bending over, over in the refrigerator and my ass appears on Periscope Live. <laughs> right. mm-hmm. You know, that's that's going to be that a That is punishment. my question about it. Is mm-hmm. How are they going to keep porn off of Periscope? That's what I don't understand. I don't understand. I'm I don't. obsessed they, with this. They can't. I, I don't know how they can either. There's got to be some filtering. I haven't seen I'm like, there I've been on be a delay, crazy, right? and I haven't seen it. So I don't know. I don't know. I can't tell. That's the great mystery. If anyone out there knows, let us know. Or don't. Just tell us it's, it's actually <laughs> <laughs> Go on right now. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine there are thousands of people trying every minute to do that. Um, yeah, the Periscope's good. All right. So my bite of the week is actually another podcast called New Tech City, which is a WNYC which is the public radio station here in New York. They're a production from them. They do a lot of technology and parenting stuff also. But they had a particular episode where they had a nine-year-old girl track on her cell phone for a number of days everything she did. So everything she did on social media. I mean, she did, and they, that episode came out in January. And they did a follow-up episode just a couple weeks ago based on a technology teacher who wrote in from a really high poverty district in Phoenix. And she had listened to that episode and thought, I don't know if my students are using it the same way. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking about this research study. And she sat with her students and sort of figured out, like many of these kids didn't have a computer at home, Mm -hmm. didn't have, but many had smartphones. Most of them didn't have printers. She was thinking about when they asked them to print stuff at home Mm -hmm. and like these kids don't have a printer or don't have a printer that works. And so she did her own study as a comparison of, she had them listen to that podcast and talk about if their life was at all like this nine-year-old girl from Westchester's life Mm -hmm. and talk about the difference and talk about how technology is in their life. So I recommend both those episodes. They're so good because it's from the kid's point of view. And it's also really good storytelling because it's an NPR podcast, as always. Um, But check it out. And it might have been part tied to, like, the whole, like, Being 12 that Nancy talked about a few weeks ago, that whole series, which was so great on NPR and WNYC. But I highly recommend it. We'll link to it on the Facebook page as well. That's it. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Thank you. Thank you, Abby. Thank it was you. such a treasure to have you with, <laughs> Thank you so much, <laughs> with us today. Um, it was good. It's great. So check us out on Facebook.com slash Parenting Bites. You can subscribe to us on iTunes at Parenting Bites. Or if you are an Android person, I always say like Amy. Or no, Windows Phone. Hello. Or, oh, Windows Phone. Oh, I don't know. Hopefully it works Android. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying no, yes to Windows Phone. it works on everything. <laughs> oh, it does? It works yes. on Windows Phone, too? Okay, I mean, that's yes. at play.it. Um, I guess we're Italian. <laughs>
Play.it. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> at Parenting Bites. Um, and you can follow us on Twitter at really just hashtag Parenting Bites. We don't really use that parenting underscore bites. We're waiting to get our, our handle that someone's basically camped out on illegally. Um, <laughs> so that's it. And rate us and review us on iTunes. That's how we get found by other people. Thanks, everybody. Bye. See you next week. Bye. Bye.